Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is James. I'm going to be reading the scripture passage in French. Le passage ce matin vient de Luc, le chapitre 24, verset 1 jusqu'à 12. Le dimanche matin, de très bonne heure, les femmes se rendirent au tombeau en portant les œils aromatiques qu'elles avaient préparés. Elles découvrirent que la pierre fermant l'entrée du sépulcre avait été roulée à quelque distance de l'ouverture. Elles pénétraient à l'intérieur mais ne trouvaient pas le corps du Seigneur Jésus. Pendant qu'elle en était encore à se demander ce que cela signifie, deux personnages vêtus d'habits intercellants s'éteignent tout à coup devant elle. Elle était tout effrayée et baisait les yeux vers le sol. Ils leur dirent alors, « Pourquoi cherchez-vous parmi les morts celui qui est vivant? » Il n'est plus ici, mais il est ressuscité. Rappelez-vous ce qu'il vous disait quand il était encore en Galilée. Il faut que le Fils de l'homme soit livré entre les mains des pécheurs, qu'il soit crucifié et qu'il ressuscite le troisième jour. Elle se souvient alors des paroles de Jésus. Elle revient du tombeau et allait tout raconter aux onze. Ainsi qu'à tous les autres disciples, c'était Marie de Magdala, Jean, Marie le maire de Jacques. Quelques autres femmes qui étaient avec elle portèrent aussi la nouvelle aux apôtres. Mais ceux-ci trouvèrent leurs propos absurdes et n'y ajoutèrent pas foi. Pierre, cependant, partit et courut au tombeau. En se penchant, il ne vit que des linges funérailles. Il s'en retourna très étonné de ce qui s'était passé. Ceci, c'est la parole de Dieu. Good morning, my name is Marlene. I'm going to read the scripture passage in Spanish. Lucas 24, 1 al 12. El primer día de la semana, muy de mañana, vinieron al sepulcro trayendo las especies aromáticas que habían preparado y algunas otras mujeres con ellas. Y hallaron la piedra removida del sepulcro y entrando no hallaron el cuerpo del Señor Jesús. Aconteció que estando ellas perplejas por esto, he aquí separaron junto a ellas dos hombres con vestiduras resplandecientes. Y como tuvieron temor y bajaron el rostro a tierra, les dijeron, ¿Por qué buscas entre los muertos al que vive? No está aquí, sino que ha resucitado. Acordaos de lo que os hablo, cuando estaba en Galilea, diciendo, Es necesario que el Hijo del Hombre sea entregado en manos de los hombres pecadores, y que sea crucificado y resucite al tercer día. Entonces ellas se acordaron de sus palabras y volviendo al sepulcro dieron nuevas de todas estas cosas a los once 
y a todos los demás. Eran María Magdalena y Juana y María, madre de Jacobo, y las demás con ellas, quienes dijeron estas cosas a los apóstoles. Mas a ellos les parecían locuras las palabras de ellas, y no las creían. Pero levantándose Pedro, corrió al sepulcro, y cuando miró dentro, vio los lienzos solos, y se fue a casa maravillándose de todo lo que había sucedido. Esta es la palabra del Señor. Good morning, I'm Ting An. I'm going to read the scripture passage in Chinese. 周日黎明时分几位妇女带着预备好的香料来到坟前发现木口的大石头已经滚到旁边便进去却没有看见主耶稣的遗体正在猜疑之间突然有两个衣服发光的人站在旁边他们吓得夫妇在地那两个人对他
Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Amen. What a celebration that we have what a celebration that we get to be a part of. We are Easter people and we get to celebrate as Easter people on this Easter Sunday morning. And from the very get-go, I want to be clear with everyone what it is that we are celebrating. We're not celebrating that winter is over and that spring is here. We're not celebrating that flowers are blooming and people get to wear pastel colors. Right? Specifically the men, we get to wear pastels and not look weird. I like pastels. We're here celebrating because we believe as Christians that Jesus Christ literally and physically was resurrected from the dead. We truly believe it. We don't think it's symbolic or that it was an analogy. We believe that Jesus was literally murdered and placed into a tomb. We believe that he was resurrected on Sunday. Now I know some of you are in here and you're saying, yeah, duh, that's why we're here celebrating. That's what Easter is, Lawrence. Others may be here saying, yeah, I've heard all that before, but I've heard it before. That's all it is to me. Some of you may even be here thinking, really? Back from the dead? Like a zombie? I thought you guys were kind of smart. Kind of weird. Wherever you are, let me just say this. The question of resurrection, this question of the resurrection is central to life and needs an answer. 
Because if the resurrection is true, then it's all true. All of Christ and his teaching. But if it's not true, then none of it's true. If Christ literally was raised from the grave, then we have all the reason in the world to have hope and to live a transformed life. But if he did not, if he did not rise from the grave, then the Bible says itself that we should be most to be pitied. See, the question of the resurrection is an important one. You might not realize it, but significance is eternal. Is it true? So this morning, may you come face to face with the resurrection in a real and powerful way. I don't know what it is, probably my age, more than anything else, but lately I've been talking to a lot of people who are going through what I call their midlife crises. I'm not saying I'm going through it, no, no, I'm too young for that. (laughs) But there's a lot of people who I've been talking to counseling and they've come to this kind of point in their life where they stop and think, wait a minute, I will die one day. I think when you're in your early 20s and your 20s, you kind of think you're still in your teenager, you kind of feel like you're immortal. I mean, you realize death is inevitable, but you feel immortal. Then you kind of maybe hit your 30s and sometimes you're like, I'm just busy surviving with little kids. That's right. But then sometimes your kids get a little older and you start realizing, oh, wait a minute. They're getting older, that means I'm getting older. Right? Am I right? You guys know what I'm saying? I'll be honest, this is kind of where I found myself. And a lot of people I was talking to that this inevitability of death has struck me. Then it just struck me what else is, what is life about? And here I am with this question, with this feeling that some people call maybe a midlife crisis. I didn't buy a sports car. But for me, you just start looking at what death is. And can I tell you something? For me, the older I get, the more I have to hope and hold on to Jesus resurrected. See, the more I realize that the death is inevitable, then the more I have to cling to this truth that Jesus is resurrected. I had the privilege of seeing Les Mis yesterday. I love Les Mis, by the way. It's one of the best musicals of all time. And it's, it's a musical that talks about suffering that occurs in this world. And most of you guys should, pretty much most all of you, will say, yes, I understand suffering exists in this world. And there's this line in Les Mis where it says, beyond the barricade, do you see a world you long to see? I think as I look around and I see this world, all this goodness and beauty, but I also see the suffering and sorrow and troubles. And more so I cling then to Jesus. He has to be alive. Because that is my hope for this world. I cling to it. Because his resurrection is true. Then there is a resurrecting God who will resurrect me. And there is a world beyond what we can see. That is beautiful. Where there is no more weeping. And where tears of sorrow, and where all that is wrong will be made right. And we cling to that hope as resurrection people. That is the hope we cling to and we hold on to, and that's the basis of the lives we live now.
Amen? As a church, we've been in a series of the Gospel of Luke. So this morning, we'll be looking at a resurrection account that actually only occurs in the Gospel of Luke. Only one that Luke mentions. Only one that's mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. We have before us this morning one of the most vivid and insightful accounts of our Lord's appearances after his resurrection. It's a story that reveals to us not only something about who we are, but how Jesus opens our eyes to see him for who he is, and about how we can come to know him. The journey to Emmaus is both a literal and a spiritual journey. On one hand, it counts the story of two followers of Jesus after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, walking seven miles from Jerusalem to their village of Emmaus. But on the other hand, it outlines for us this journey that we kind of all take from not recognizing Jesus to understanding what the scripture says about him, to recognizing him for who he is, and finally giving witness to what we've experienced. So it's both a literal and a spiritual journey for us. So notice with me as we celebrate our Lord's resurrection this morning, four things from this passage. Number one, Jesus seeks us. I should be able to go, yep, Jesus seeks us. Although the disciples knew, these followers knew who Jesus was, they did not recognize him. They knew a lot about him. They'd been witnesses to all that happened, but they're walking away. Now remember this, guys, that all that, when they saw the stranger on the road, they're like, what do you mean you don't know what's been happening in Jerusalem? It's been the talk of the town. Everybody's talking about this. But mind you, they're leaving Jerusalem. They were here, and they, they were followers of Jesus, and they were with him. They probably entered with him with a triumphal entry. They were watching him do all these incredible things. They saw the trial, and they saw the crucifixion. And they even stayed there long enough to hear about the empty tomb. But what did they do? They didn't believe. They didn't stick around. They actually walked away, and they left. They started going back home, back to their lives. They were like, well, I guess it wasn't real. So they started walking away. They started going back home, a seven-mile trek to go back to their regular lives. But Jesus seeks them. Now, there's many reasons why they didn't recognize Jesus when they first saw him. Number one, they might not recognize him because the events had not happened as they expected them to happen. And they had a preconceived idea of who Jesus was, what he had come to do, and how he should do it. But when things did not turn out like they thought they should, they dismissed the whole thing as maybe failure and misplaced hope or trust. I mean, these guys were thinking, these people were thinking, Jesus was going to come in riding a chariot, riding a stallion with a sword, and say, Rome, you no longer have power here. He's going to be a William Wallace figure. He's going to be this superhero type figure that says, Rome, you have no power. I'm now in charge. And they'll kick him out. But that's not what happened. The hero that they were following all of a sudden was willingly arrested, didn't fight back. The hero that they hoped was gonna throw off the rule of the Roman Empire was whipped and tortured and mocked and insulted and ultimately crucified. They didn't believe because that's not what they were expecting in a savior. Maybe that's like you today. Maybe you have an idea of what God should look like or what your Savior should look like. But you're not recognizing this beautiful Savior because he doesn't look the way you think he should. Another point why they didn't recognize is God did not want them to recognize him. 
The language conveys the sense that they were kept from recognizing him because God had a purpose in blinding their eyes from reality. Not to be cruel at all, but his gradual revelation of himself allows them to learn certain lessons about trusting God's promises. The followers have been told that these events many times were going to happen, but they didn't believe. God had a plan, and in this intentional, gradual revelation of himself, allowed the, the followers to grow in their understanding of who Jesus was. So that ultimately they can know and have true faith. See, third reason they didn't recognize him was because they had little faith. They heard the reports of the woman who went to the tomb. They'd seen the empty for themselves, yet they did not believe. This is outside of their paradigm. They couldn't comprehend. They were like, I can't comprehend that Jesus is alive because that doesn't happen. We saw him crucified and dead. That's not what I expected. So he, he must not be who I thought he was. And just because they knew about Jesus doesn't mean that they knew who he is. Just because they could see him does not mean that they could see who he was. And many people today know who Jesus is. They've heard about him, read about him, used his name, and even claimed to know him. But they would not recognize him. Their eyes have not been opened. Knowing about him and knowing him are two different things. So these two disciples or followers of Jesus didn't believe for whatever reason, they didn't believe, so they were returning home defeated. Seven miles doesn't seem that long. It seems long to me. For other people, it doesn't seem that long. Are you marathon runners out there? Just saying. I saw, this is, I don't know why, I'm, I'm going to share this anyway. I saw a sign that said, um, certain, I, I see, you had a, what's the marathon? 26.2, then a half marathon, all that stuff. And they put that signs on there, right? And I was joking with my wife one day, because you know, some people have different levels, like 5K or 10K on there. And they're like, you know, if you're a marathon runner, you're like 5K. What are you? Ha, ha, ha. You know? But then I was like, how far is it from, like, my couch to my car? Can I put that sticker on my car? <laughs> Seven miles doesn't seem long. But it's symbolic. They're saying, I'm going back. Because this must not be real. They're giving up. They're giving up hope. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's a point that I don't want you to miss, is Jesus sought after them. They gave up, they didn't believe, they were going back. But in the middle of them going back, Jesus went to them. Jesus met them, not on their way into Jerusalem, not on their way searching, but on their way walking out, walking away. I don't know where you're at, but maybe some of you are here today and you're thinking, whew, man, I've walked so far away from God. I spent years doing things and living a certain way, walking so far away, that even if I wanted to go back to how far away God is, there's no way for me. Jesus sought them and they were walking away. He does the same for you. And as you've gone and you think you've gone so far away, you think your sin is taking you so far away, let me tell you that he's chasing after you and you're not too far. Jesus seeks them. He seeks you. Secondly, I want you to notice that it says, Jesus opens our eyes. Verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, we don't know exactly the specific passages Jesus used. We know that he opened up the Bible, the scriptures, with a view to show them how all the Old Testament points to his fulfillment. Maybe he started off in Genesis 
Where God cursed the serpent, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Maybe he went to Isaiah 7.14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Maybe he went to Isaiah 53. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we were healed. We know that Jesus walked them through this revelation of scripture and he showed and he gave witness to who he was, why he had come, and why it was necessary for him to suffer and die. Jesus wanted them to see that if they could only believe what the scripture said about him, they would understand and truly know who he was. The scriptures give testimony of who Jesus is. And he uses it today to open the eyes of those who don't know. Can I tell you, my people, that all of the Bible, and its beautiful revelation tells us a story, tells us who Jesus is. It points to him, it's about him, it glorifies him. Now I know some of you guys, I'm just to be honest with you guys, and you can be honest with me, when you think about the idea of reading the scripture, you're like, ugh. It's true, I get that, I understand. Some of you guys feel this way. Some of you guys are like, well some parts of scripture are pretty cool. I can do that. There's some of the letters I can go with or the Gospels, but don't make me read Leviticus. You know, I mean, come on. Numbers? Are you kidding me? And I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not up here lying to you and be like, every bit of the Bible is so exciting, you're going to get so much out of it all the time. I'm not going to say that. But here's what I'm going to say that it is all God breathed. And it's all pointing to Jesus. And it's beautiful. Here's the beautiful thing about it. If it was so easy and able to understand and if it wasn't complicated and if it wasn't um, so deep that you get bored and sometimes in the, in, in the lost bigness of it, then it wouldn't be big enough for you. It wouldn't be big enough to talk about God. But it's also so complex. It's so difficult. It's so hard that sometimes you get lost and you, you mind like, like, it's like reading textbooks. I was like, what did I just read? But it's also simple enough that a child can understand. That's the beauty and the depth of scripture. It's both deep enough that we can pour into it with all our greatest academics of all time. Scholars can pour it and spend their lives pouring into it and still only glean pieces of it. But it's also understandable enough that our children can read it and learn. And it all tells you about Jesus. So my people, my people, read the word. It is good. Many people will tell you who Jesus is. They'll tell you that he's one of many ways to get to heaven. They'll tell you he was a good man, a a, a prophet, maybe a decent teacher, a rebel who defied the Roman authorities. But scripture reveals who Jesus really is. He's God with us. He is Messiah. He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He is love incarnate. He is Jesus. And in the word, in the scripture, God reveals himself to us. Guys, I want you to get this. 
I had a professor in, uh, in philosophy one time, and he shared with me this idea that if there's something about human beings, something innate inside of us that has a desire to just want to be known. And we want to be known. I always say that about the human condition, right? The human condition is we want to be known, we want to also want to be loved, and we also crave purpose. There's something innate inside of us that wants to be known. Well, my professor would then say, if this desire to want to be known, he believes that if there is a creator, a creator, God of some sort, then maybe God made us in his image, this idea that maybe God wants to be known. And if God wants to be known, how would he make himself known? When we are, he's separate, he's transcendent, he's so far beyond us, he's so far above us, if also he's so much, much holier and righteous. And then maybe he chooses to reveal himself through his word. His word was strong enough to bring forth the universe and holds the laws of nature in its place. So he reveals his word, and his word reveals himself to us. And ultimately, he reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So he chooses to use his word to reveal himself to us. May we not take his word for granted. And it is good, even in its complexity. So Jesus, he walked them through his word, walked them through it, so Jesus opens our eyes. Point three, Jesus reveals himself. It's only as he had fellowship with Jesus that he's closed himself to them. He reveals himself to those whose eyes he has opened through the truth of his word. It's not without significance that it happened around the supper table that these, these followers of Jesus' eyes were open to see Jesus for who he really is. After the resurrection, many of the appearances of Jesus are associated around table fellowship. It happens here in Acts 1 and John 21. I like to think it's because Jesus is a foodie and he enjoys a good dinner. Uh, That's just my reason. Uh, That's why Jesus always has to reveal himself around the food table because he's like, dinner is good. I agree. But I think more so it's in the intimacy of fellowship, Jesus reveals himself to us. He's working our life to become clearer as provision and protecting, protection comes into focus. He's revealing himself in, in pomp and circumstance, instead in sweet intimacy and fellowship. And it's something that is part of daily life. But he does reveal himself. If you knock, he answers. If you seek, you will find him. that's just what Jesus does. He reveals himself. My people, can you hear me? People, maybe today, maybe this is the day that if you don't know, if you don't know Jesus in this way, in this capacity, if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship, today may be the day that you can knock and he will answer. He will reveal himself to you. Our fourth point is, Father, once they recognized him, they could not help but share They couldn't help but share. When your eyes have been opened, you'll want others to have their eyes open. I mean, can you imagine the excitement they felt? They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When was the last time your heart was burning in you? I love that phrase, by the way. That the heart was burning in us. Their encounter with Jesus had been emotional. It stirred them on the inside. It moved them, their very hearts. And once they moved them, they could not help but share. Remember this. Go back to this now. It says the name of one of the followers, named Cleopas. It doesn't say the name of the other follower, right? Some scholars like to think it was Cleopas and probably his wife. 
Right? Identified as Mary, another part of the Bible. So Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Cleopas. So it could have been a husband and a wife together. It might not have been. We don't know. We just know that one of the followers was named Cleopas. I don't know why only one was named, but we'll work with it. So here's Cleopas and maybe his wife. And so they witnessed the people say that Jesus is resurrected. They didn't believe it. So they walked seven miles to go back home. During this course of his walk, obviously Jesus, but they meet this person, talk about Jesus. They have, it's really late, so they say, come stay the night with us. They can reveal that it's Jesus. They're like, oh man, this is Jesus. Their hearts are burning. They're so excited. I can't believe this is Jesus here. Mind you, by this point, it's really late at night. What do they do? Go to bed? No. They immediately, late at night, turned around and walked the exact seven miles back to Jerusalem. They were saying, safety, I don't care. Think about this, okay? If you're a highwayman or a bandit or whatever, I like using the word highwayman. It seems more cooler. That's the road you'd be on. The road to, you know, the major road to the major cities, right? So, this is a dangerous trek at night. But they did it. They immediately said, no, no, I have to do this. I have to go and I have to tell everybody. I have to give witness that Jesus is risen from the dead. He explained the scriptures to me. This is, he is the Messiah. How did we miss it? He wasn't going to conquer through sword and, and chariot. He's going to conquer through dying upon a cross. This is a different type of kingdom. This is not a kingdom that says, hey, I'm going to conquer and I'm going to beat you into submission. This is a kingdom that says our people advance it by dying. For others in love. How do we miss it? He's been saying it, but how do we miss it? Now I gotta go back. I don't care if it's late at night. I don't care if I just walked here. I don't care that my feet are tired. I don't care that it's dangerous and there's highwaymen or bandits or whatever on the roads. I'm going back to Jerusalem and I'm gonna tell everybody. They were overcome with such excitement, they couldn't wait to tell everyone else about it. It's like in the best news. You can't wait to share with everyone. Not only do you want to share the news, you want to live in the news. I remember the moment that I got engaged to my wife. I had grand plans. Execution might not have been the best, but I had good plans. We were in Atlanta for a reason I made up, and, I, and while we were there, I was like, pretending to drive around, and I'm like, oh hey, there's a random garden. Let's go there. And she was like, wait a minute. Lawrence would never say let's go to a random garden. Something's up. I thought I was smooth and natural-like. I wasn't. She said later on that she suspected something because um, I was nervous, but also because she happened to look in my pocket and there was a big box <laughs> in my pocket. I thought I was hiding it very well, but there was a big box. Guys, mind you, I had it in the box, the ring, because I was so scared of losing the ring. I don't know, I would never take it out of the box, but I'm going to lose this thing. So I had it in the box still, and my wife was like, hmm, okay. And so as we were getting to the garden, she later told me that I was doing this. I didn't know I was doing this. But she later told me that I was humming all the single ladies to myself. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I often do that with songs. If something makes me think of something, I'll hum the song. But I didn't realize I was doing it. So I was about to put a ring on it. So I was like, I was humming all the single ladies. So I didn't enjoy the garden at all. I was a nervous wreck. I was like trying to rush through everything to get her to a certain spot I pre-selected. So Gina's like trying to take pictures of, oh, pretty flower. I'm like, get over here, watch, come, quit looking at that. <laughs> I finally got to the place where I, I wanted to propose, and I think I proposed, I believe I said yes, I'm not sure, I kind of blacked out. It was all fuzzy. 
Afterwards, all she wanted to do was call her parents. That's all she wanted. But see, here's another problem with my execution. I had big plans. I had a plan where her parents were in Atlanta at a restaurant waiting for us with my parents. Smooth, right? Romantic. I, I, I thought so. But it was backfired on me because she was just calling and calling her parents. Like, where are my parents? She'd call her sister, call her brother, trying to figure out where she, she just wanted, she, I was like, it's okay. She's like, but I want to tell everybody, but I have to tell my parents first. They have to be the first ones to know. And so I was like, oh, I don't know where your parents are. <laughs> and she, she started freaking out. She's getting a little worried. Like, where are my parents? About? And she just wanted to tell everybody. And she just wanted to shout it out to the world. And she was so disappointed. Her parents weren't picking up. And just couldn't, sh- couldn't share her joy with everyone. because of her par- And she was like, don't you want to call your parents? And I was like, I do. <laughs> but, um, let's let you celebrate first. But in all reality, that was... I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to shout out to the world that I was engaged to this amazing woman. I couldn't wait to change our relationship status on Facebook to be like, engaged. I don't even care about social media, but I still wanted to do that. I was so pumped, so excited. Because being engaged to her changed something in me. It changed, honestly, in many ways. Being married to this woman has changed me in so many ways. My identity is different. My people, so much more so, is when you know who Jesus is, it changes you in ways that you can't imagine. So much more than even my wife, my love, she's changed me so much. Even more, that doesn't put even a little dead compared to how much Jesus, and you knowing him, knowing the truth of his resurrection and the power of his love changes absolutely your identity. Because here's the deal, here's your identity right now. Often some of you guys are in this place and your identity, as you, as you see it, you might be the, the forgotten one or the abandoned one. You might be the broken one, the hurt one. Some of you guys have good identities found maybe in the world though. You might be the successful one, the rich one, the smart one, the talented one. But those are fleeting, isn't it? Maybe you're the pretty one. Maybe you have found your identity in being the popular one. And you find your identity and you find a way to define yourself in all these things. Some of them last a little longer, some of them not as long, some of them superficial, some of them identities that were put upon you and told upon you and forced upon you. Some of you try to make up for yourself. But they're fleeting. Or they're dependent upon your effort or your work or they're dependent upon somebody else's treatment of you or thoughts of you. But when you know your identity in Christ, know that you did nothing to earn it, but now you get to be called the beloved one, a child of God, redeemed, healed, forgiven, called to purpose, living in the truth and the power of the resurrection. Eternally loved, eternally known, eternally called. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? That changes everything. Unless you even face the sufferings and troubles of life now with confidence and hope. Because you're known and you're loved and you're called to purpose.
Don't you want to share that with people? Doesn't that move your heart? Doesn't your heart burn within you? Do you know Jesus this morning? I mean, do you know him? Not know of him. Do you know him? Have your eyes ever been open to who he is and what he's done? Where are you on this spiritual walk to Emmaus? Wherever you're at, you're not alone. Remember that he seeks you. He goes to you. You haven't gone too far away. Remember that he will open your eyes. Remember that he reveals himself to you. And it absolutely changes your identity. May you share it with others. Wherever you're at today, the invitation is to say, know Jesus. And if you're here, wherever you're at in this journey, if you want to talk to someone or you want to pursue it, know that this church will walk with you in it. Wherever you're at in your journey, and I invite you, during our worship time of singing, I invite you to find somebody with one of their lanyards, our prayer team, a staff, and go and talk to them. They want to journey with you. They want to help you on your walk to Emmaus to see who Jesus is and let it absolutely change you. And for those of you who know who Jesus is, know him as changed people, beloved people, may you live every day in the reality of our risen Savior. His resurrection changed everything, and now we have true, eternal hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you that you're a God who resurrected Jesus. And that resurrected power, that resurrected Jesus is now doing a work in our own lives. And that is the power that we have that changes our, our, our identity, that changes our future, that even changes our past or redeems our past. God, that you are a good God who loves us. So God, may we walk in that reality, may we walk in that new identity. God, that we are known and we are loved and we are called to purpose. Thank you for seeking us first. And for doing all that it takes for our salvation and our rescue. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.